I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. For over 35 years, she's inspired millions around the world with her teachings on love, kindness, and compassion. Prolific author, Buddhist nun, and a pioneer of the mindfulness movement, Pema Chodron. We first met in 2014 when we discussed her best-selling spiritual guide, When Things Fall Apart, Hard Advice for Difficult Times. Now, her first book in seven years called Welcoming the Unwelcome, Wholehearted Living in a Brokenhearted World, invites readers to embrace suffering to strengthen resilience. Pema believes that beneath anger, confusion, and fear is a basic goodness that connects us all. Plus, Pema addresses the recent sexual abuse allegations lodged against the Buddhist community. So I'm happy to welcome you, Pema Chodron, to Super Soul Sunday in my garden, in my flower garden. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And it's wonderful that, you know, the last time we spoke about your book, I think it was like five years ago when things fall apart. And I had the pleasure of having dinner with you last night and you were sharing how remarkable it is still that all over the world you get messages from people who have seen or read that book and how it has moved them. How does that make you feel in terms of your Dharma work here on Earth? Uh, Well, it makes me feel good. I guess that's the simple answer, you know, because honestly, sometimes people talk to me about their their legacy Mm -hmm. and what they want their legacy to be and things like that. Mm -hmm. I realize I I don't really think that way. What I care is about individual lives Mm -hmm. and that what I say might impact their lives in such a positive way, you know, particularly because there's so much suffering. And if it actually has alleviated someone's suffering, uh, to a certain degree, that's what gives me really deep satisfaction. So. But you know what is so interesting? One of my most powerful teachers was Maya Angelou. Right, I know. And one of the things that she said to me when I'd come back from opening my school, and I said, Maya, my school is going to be my greatest legacy. And she said, you have no idea what your legacy will be that's because right. your legacy is every life you touch. It's not about institutions or your name on something. It's every life you touch. So the same is true for every person who has read When Things Fall Apart, every person who's been moved by something that you had to offer, that will be, that is your legacy. That's right. So now you've written, when I first saw the title, Welcoming the Unwelcome, I went, whoa. (laughs) <laughs> what you said last night was, I don't want to welcome I don't want to wel- That's exactly what I felt when I saw, oh, gosh, I don't know. If that's a- Is that a good title? Because I don't want to welcome. So you begin chapter one. Chapter one is titled, Begin with a Broken Heart. Now, I have to tell you, that is what most of us are trying to avoid, <laughs> is a broken heart. Why do you say, start with a broken heart? Well, it has to do with contacting that part of the human life that's vulnerable and tender and um, that's shared by other people, like empathetic sense of other people's vulnerability and tenderness. And so somehow 
if, if you get in touch with that there, the real suffering that there is in the world, that's what I kind of mean by a broken heart or a tender heart mm -hmm. or a genuine heart. If you get in touch with that, it, it's like a link with humanity, you know, and that's the healing part, the interconnectedness with other people based on having stood in their shoes or they stood in your shoes or however you want to express it. But. So the book s talks about how we can strengthen our resilience and stay connected with each other when we really want to withdraw. Right. And I know there was a point where you had some of your students tell you about what happens when they are in confusion, distress, any form of suffering. And what did you learn from that? Mainly the attitude is, this is a whole part of being human, the vulnerable part, the, 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 the tender part, the part that hurts. And it's very linked with the part that knows how to love and feel compassion. They're all kind of mixed in. Does that make sense? It makes all the sense. And so... That you um, can't know how to love unless you also know how to hurt. That's right. So when things show up for us that are uncomfortable, that yeah. cause us to suffer, and by suffer meaning we wish we weren't in this predicament. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or cause stress, anxiety, confusion, a sense of hopelessness, where do I go? What's the first thing we should do? Acknowledge what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Acknowledge what you're feeling. That is what you mean by welcoming the unwelcome. Yeah, I mean, well, first it's just acknowledging and, you know, welcoming might be a little loaded. Yes. <laughs> because maybe acknowledging is like, what you're acknowledging is that everything in you is shutting down. Yes. And that your mind is racing 100 miles an hour saying, it's their fault, it's their fault, or I'm a horrible person or something. Like that. So the first thing is to get get as quickly as you can to acceptance. Yeah, to recognize and then it's almost like if you were doing it in steps, although it kind of comes together. Recognize and then welcome, embrace, accept. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you're turning in, in that direction, you know. Yes. I think the next thing is um, uh, there's various things that you could, you could do at that point. Um, for instance, Go to your body mm -hmm. and just locate it in your body. And I talk a lot about contraction and then learning how to open that or let it expand. Because if you're afraid, angry, any of those uncomfortable feelings, if you go to your body, you feel it as tightness, you know? Mm -hmm. you, it's just, that's how it feels. So I guess it's like making friends with that tightness or being kind to that tightness. You actually talk about breathing it in and then exhaling out. That's Tell me a what practice. That is. That's yes. a practice. Traditional Buddhist practice of Tonglen is that when someone else is suffering, you're willing to take it in so that they don't have to have it. That's kind of uh, at most advanced. But I've taken that and worked a lot with it with the idea that when the pain is there, so you acknowledge and then the way that you could welcome or something is to breathe it in, like open to it. So It some, feels like the exact opposite of what you want it to do. Habitually, what you, want, yeah. you would never do this. Yeah. What you want to do is reject that thing Absolutely. that's causing you so pain or something. So that's why instead, there's something in there that says, ah, you know, maybe I could do something different. Maybe I could move towards it. So welcoming the unwelcome, you write about the, the Buddhist principle of basic goodness. Yeah. The idea that human beings are fundamentally good 
and loving, and we naturally want to be there for others. On, our, on page eight, you write, not understanding the basic goodness of our true nature as at the root of all of our suffering. It lies beneath everything we do to harm ourselves and others. How so? When you read that, yes. what, what, what do you hear? What I hear is that no matter what the world looks like on the exterior, right. and we are fed a daily uh, dose of negativity, because that's what the news is, that's right. and you are surrounded by influences that tell you all the time that things are going wrong. Right. And what it says to me is, to remember that all of that is just a facade, that's just a cover that's right. for what's really inside. That's right, yes. okay, so yeah. that is really what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. And you asked me a question actually last night mm -hmm. about uh, if you're trying to communicate, what's the most important thing to try to communicate? Yes. Thinking about it afterwards, I thought, absolutely the most basic thing is that people feel so bad about themselves. Mm -hmm. And if there's any way to communicate in a way that they can take it in and hear it, that actually they're complete just as they are and that there is nothing wrong with them. And there's temporary obstacles or temporary um, uh, things in the way, mm -hmm. but that's like clouds, you know, they, they pass. And the fundamental state is always uh, open and fresh and unbiased and it's always there but so in other words those what we call our faults or our failings or stuff are temporary and removable and even those how do you work with those not by getting rid of them but by coming to know them really well there's this exercise that you say when you look at other people and you say uh, i think it's is it that just could, like me just like me yeah I've taken it to, that could be me. You know, we've all used the phrase there, but for the grace of God. That's right. But That's I love this way. idea of when you see something going on with another person, and even if you're just stuck in traffic and you're getting upset with them, you do the just like me exercise. Can That's you right. share that? <laughs> I like that. Well, it, it's really helpful. You can do it anytime. Like for instance, um, uh, sitting and waiting, you know, for anything, you can just look around at people and, and um, whether they seem stressed or happy or whatever, you can say, just like me, you know, we are alike. Just like me, that person really wants to be loved. That person doesn't want to suffer. That person doesn't want physical pain. That person doesn't want hatred coming towards them. Right, just like that me. That person, just like me, just like me. And, but so it's very, very useful if like you're in these irritating situations like a traffic jam. It's so or at the it, airports, people or, get so frustrated at the airport. Oh, I know. So you sit there and you, you just start, instead of fuming, which gets you nowhere except, you know. More fuming. More fuming. You start looking at the people in the other cars or uh, other people sitting in the airport, I think. And just like me, these people had some place to go and they're being delayed. And just like me, they're fretting about it. And just like me, you know, they're just human beings who want to be where they are trying to get and, to. And, and, and just like me, it would really be helpful if there was some other way they could deal with it, you know? Yes. Uh, so, so here's some advice. You know, yes. the advice would be just start seeing the humanity of all the people in the cars around you. You know, I would have to say that one of the things, the great lessons of having a talk show every day for 25 years and interviewing over 37,000 people one-on-one, -on -one, <laughs> I got that just like me thing. I understood oh, I that, that, this human, that there's this human 
um, common denominator yeah. of our experience. Oh, absolutely. And just like me, everybody wants to be heard. And just like me, everybody wants to know that they matter. That's right. Yeah. You know, I often say to people who are having trouble with their parents, and, um, you know, often their parents are like my yes. age, right? Yes. <laughs> and, but, you know, they, they like are going to go home and they're dreading it. And now I said, well, I got advice once enter into their lives instead of struggling against and being resentful that they're not interested in your life just for that keep the visit short mm -hmm. and for a couple of days there yeah. just sit and and enter into their life do whatever they're doing like watching television all day long when yeah. you'd rather be out playing tennis or something but, and the other thing is ask them about their childhood yes ask them about their life yes and I said, really, it's worth taking a tape recorder because for you to start hearing about your mother or father's yeah. childhood is... Uh, yeah, I did that with my young. mother toward the end. I actually, when my mother, we knew that my mother was dying and wouldn't be on Earth much longer and was making her transition, I went back to Milwaukee and I sat in the room. She was in this little room where she watches television where the temperature was like 87 degrees and she's watching the bold and the beautiful and the young and the restless <laughs> all day long and watching the game show. And I just sat in the room. Yeah. Just sat That's in right. the room. That's right. and, and sometimes it's enough just to be there. That's right. Yeah. And I had an interesting experience once with my mother because she, she retired, she and my father retired to Mexico. Mm -hmm. But then uh, he died, oh, maybe six years before she left Mexico. And, um, so I would go down there, you know, I'd be just dying to get out and mm -hmm. walk in the markets and everything. She would stay in her room, all the shades drawn, and again, just watching television. Like, she wasn't in Mexico, even, right. you know? Could have been anywhere. And so my, my feeling was, so I got this advice, just enter her world. So I went, and, and as you say, it was so hot in there, and it was so dark. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, and basically I am just so restless and just almost have to tie myself down to just kind of be present mm -hmm. because I want to get out. And after a while, I just started to relax. And after a while, it got kind of interesting, actually. Uh, every once in a while, the door would open and someone would come in and it'd be like a little vignette mm -hmm. of life. Someone would interact with her or bring her something or something. And I'd see her reaction, that person's reaction, then they'd leave and we'd be back to the sort of status quo of, boredom but mm -hmm. but after a while it became like being in a theater show or something mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. being on stage and uh almost like a theater piece i don't know what to say except that it changed from being dreadful and something i wanted to avoid to something i actually got into that's it right her. you you became present enough to actually transcend my yes my, absolutely my resistance so a buddhist principle we hear about is enlightenment and i think that enlightenment i remember when i was doing the oprah show that was a part of the mission statement that we were doing a show to inform to enlighten as well as entertain a lot of people get intimidated by that word enlighten it's very intimidating yes because it sounds like it sounds like unattainable unattainable yeah. do you think you have attained it uh, enlightenment? No, enlightenment. I would not say I have. Yeah. <laughs> you would not say you have? I would not. You're helping us welcome the unwelcome. <laughs> You're helping us get through when things fall apart. I would say apart. that I've moved a long way in my life away from being reactive and stuck and polarizing and and uh, feeling that I'm separate from other people. But um, 
I don't, maybe the term is too grand. If, if you were to say, uh, have you in your lifetime, uh, uh, are you able to be more present with your own body and mind and with other people and with situations? I'd say absolutely, you know. I'd say absolutely. But I feel I've just started on this adventure and, you, you know. You do? Yeah, I do. <laughs> a little old, but just be feeling that way. But I felt this way but for... But don't you think that the ultimate enlightenment, because one of the things, I, I, I remember when my life changed immensely when I recognized, first of all, that the what I had referred to as God my whole life, yeah. you know, was not up in the sky. Yeah taking names and watching me like Santa Claus, <laughs> right. making a list and checking it twice. Right. I remember that, that, that sense of being opened up when I recognized that God was in all, that yeah. the force of life, by whatever name you call it, is in all, yeah. and that we are all connected. That's right. And that felt kind of enlightening to me. Well, yeah, there's moments of there's awareness there's and of moments enlightenment. In a I think I mentioned it somewhere in the book, but, it, you know, Buddhism being full of categories and stuff like that. Yes. They say when you have your first enlightenment experience, it's called, it has this Buddhist name, First Bhumi. Yeah. So then that's just the beginning. Right. There are... Uh, levels and levels, levels and levels and levels. levels. And, levels. Yes. and actually, uh, people ask me, why did you become a nun, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I say, well, definitely, I never would have chosen it as a life thing. Yeah. Being a nun had a lot of real negative associations. But I saw it as uh, devoting my whole life to going deeper, deeper, deeper. What has been your greatest awakening so far, would you say? Well, I've had any number of times when uh, I would say time stood still, where uh, I just had that profound sense of timeless, uh, I now use the word nowness, mm -hmm. uh, meaning fully present is not just, it's not just mindfulness, like noticing the colors of the flowers or something, although that's part of it. It's more, it's also, quite importantly, a feeling of, of this moment of time is um, infinite. Yeah. It's infinite. So. That, that, that's an experience, an ongoing experience I've had. The other ongoing experience uh, that I have is um, a feeling of, um, I, I never know how to express this, but um, like that things are n neutral in a way. Like all the things we see and hear and everything are neutral in the sense that some one person hears it and they say, it's bad. And the yes. other person hears the same thing and says it's good. That's what I mean by neutral. It's sort of like... It has it, its influence depending on whatever your background is, where right. you come and, from, and, it's not and your in, interpretation. That's right. But it's neutral. That's yes. right. So that was initially a very profound experience because... That, that allows you to hear both sides, actually. Uh, it, it makes it painfully... You can't not hear both sides. And the other thing is that... Um, well, you got to be enlightened to do that. When I first... <laughs> I'm here to prove your enlightenment to you. <laughs> I see, all right. But uh, when I first had that insight, I just broke down and cried and cried and cried. And the reason was because I thought everyone is causing themselves and others so much suffering just because they don't understand that. They just don't understand that. So racism, sexism, uh, and... All of these things that cause so much pain and suffering all comes from 
thinking that something that is just neutral is bad or uh, threatening or something like that. So we're talking about one of the great awakenings or life lessons. Did you learn about karma or did you already know about karma? I love what you write on page 13. You say, every word we speak and every action we perform affects our future. I'm yeah. going to say that again for the world. Every word we speak and every action we perform affects our future. But where do words and actions come from? They all start from our mind. Mm. And when we indulge in resentment or obsession or self-righteous thinking, we create several problems for ourselves. First, we suffer the immediate pain of those thoughts and emotions. Then we often act out in ways that cause ourselves and others harm. Finally, we reinforce a habit that we would be better off without. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Such awakening, wise, enlightenment words. I think maybe I'm words. better on paper than in person. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, do you believe that's true? I, I oh, I know it's true. I know it's true. They, um, it's actually the third law of motion in physics, I call it. It's uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I mean, it is like physical scientific law. Every year I take a period of time, usually about 100 days or so, yeah. where I go into solitary retreat alone and mm. I just meditate. And How long are you along? How long? About 100 days. Uh, 100 days? So, well, that's three months and a half, three and a half months. I'm not, it's not like I never see anybody, but I pretty much am alone and not talking. It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I love people, yeah. but basically, I love solitude. I love it. Wow. So I had this insight. I was sitting there, and I'd gotten a letter, or I was worried about one of the grandchildren or something, and so I started this little obsession. <laughs> and, uh, and, and one of the things is I've become very uh, aware of what my mind is, what the storyline is that's going on, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was aware that I was doing that and that, uh, that it was impacting me. I was kind of tensing up and stuff. And I thought, even in complete solitude, what you're doing is affecting the world. Now, I don't know if you would agree with that, but it struck me that the vibe, the ripples go out, the ripples go out. You know, we know so much about that, that we're interconnected at such a vast level because what we're saying and doing and stuff, the ripples go out. Yeah. So I realized even without talking or being with another person, I still... The ripples are going out. Yeah, so, so it matters, you know. It really matters how we, how, we, uh, res how we respect ourselves, how we're kind to ourselves, and how we acknowledge, how we really acknowledge that we're causing ourselves suffering by all this obsessing and stuff. And though we can't predict or control what will come up next or how we will feel about it, we can do something about how we react. We can work on how we relate to whatever comes up. That's exactly right. Yeah. We can relate to whatever comes up. And that's where um, meditation comes in because you become so much more aware of what you're thinking. You become so much more aware that you're that you're escalating. You know, it's like some kind of awareness begins to dawn. Mostly what happens, I would say, for myself and working with a lot of other people, is what you become aware of is how, where you're stuck. 
you become aware that you're, that you're obsessing, say, or that you're working yourself into a rage talking about your mm -hmm. sister-in-law or somebody to, your, to yourself, well, see that you're doing that, acknowledge that you're doing that, and then turn towards the feelings themselves. Forget about the sister-in-law and the whole thing. Just turn towards yourself and get in touch with that. Now, people do ask me, well, there's some situations where, and this would be like the, the boys in Central Park, the five boys, you know, mm -hmm. where the situations are so horrendous. Does this apply to something like that? And um, I'm thinking it applies because you become so much more able to be an effective agent for change. You, because you're not blinding yourselves with your, yourself with your emotional reactivity, you're really understanding and you're fully embodying whatever it is you're feeling without making it bad, but with some kind of kind attitude about mm -hmm. you're, you're just a human being. But on the other hand, you're not continuing with the rant, whether it's verbal or in your mind. And so somehow in that process, you are more just open and available to the people in front of you. And, and you don't see them as adversaries or enemies, you know. Even the people that do these terrible things to people, you wish you could find a way to communicate to their humanness. Yes. And, and the more you're not blocked, the more you can communicate to their humanness. This is the great lesson for us all. And it comes in welcoming the unwelcoming. You share this, that the person who has caused you the greatest humiliation, right. the greatest pain, right. the greatest suffering, yeah. is also your greatest teacher. That's and right. And we should be thanking that person. That's right. Well, so, someone was asking me about the other day. Said I really don't buy that, you know. <laughs> but so, so we had a great, we had a good yeah. conversation. Yeah. But they, they, you don't have to buy it or not. They, if you can they, see it, though, you can open up to it. You know? Yeah, and, and, and traditionally that's called something like uh, troublemakers as gurus. Yeah. Yeah, they're your, they're your teachers. Yeah, I share the story that when I was moving from Chicago, uh, I was going through all of my old stuff and found all these love letters that I'd written to someone in my 20s. And the, it, 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 I sat in the closet weeping for the woman I was. Yeah, I know. Grateful that I had come through whatever my delusions were, yeah. and also said a thank you to that guy. Yeah, that's yeah. it exactly, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. I thought, well, wh look look who turns out to be one of my greatest teachers. That's right. The person that I thought was causing me that's the greatest right. pain. That's right, Yeah. that's right. But it takes time to get there. It takes time, it's hard to see it when they're there. No, when you're in it. But uh, but I think, you know, people do have a lot of wisdom, and if. If they read a book like this one, or When Things Fall Apart, or any of them, and that message kind of clicks as like, hmm, this is interesting to me, um, then uh, sometimes people, uh, they, they stumble on the truth of it themselves. Yeah. It's in there. They already know it somehow. Yeah. Do we just keep getting reinforced what we already know? Is that what's going on? Yeah, unless until you stop doing that. Yeah. But uh, I would say, uh, if you just looked out at humanity you know, <laughs> on all the, all the continents of the world, that mostly that's what's happening. You just keep reinforcing the view that you already have. And as you get older, well, yeah, what happens is your world just gets smaller and smaller, you know. You're more and more afraid of more things. I wanted to ask you about this, this, this idea of 
um, things getting reinforced and karma coming up for you when the allegations of sexual abuse in Shambhala that were made about a year ago. There was a New York Times headline that read, The King of Shambhala Buddhism is Undone by Abuse Report. Now, we've seen this behavior in Catholic priests and Boy Scout leaders and Hollywood executives, and now I think people have become awakened to it. There is no place where it's not. That's right. And now the Buddhist community has been rocked by allegations of sexual That's abuse. Right. That's right. And when right. that happened, you felt what? I felt, oh man, you feel such a, a, a gestalt of feelings, you know. I felt angry with him. I felt um, uh, deeply saddened mm -hmm. for him and for the community. Uh, those were the main feelings, I think, mixed together. When that happens and it comes in and it rocks your world. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's like a rug-pulling-out experience, yeah. right? Now... And in that case, I think 20 other reports came out of sexual misconduct by other leaders in Shabala. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, the situation is, is horrendous, you know. And I, my future is just completely up in the air, you know, now. I mean, I, I'm too old to actually worry about it too much because... You're still a senior teacher there, though, right? Yeah. I am officially still a senior teacher there. Yeah. But I also have another teacher mm -hmm. who I've had for uh, since 99. Mm -hmm. And I also, more outside of Shambhala right. than, than in Shambhala. So in a way, um, and as I say, things like solitary retreat are my most favorite thing. But for many people, they completely were devoted to him, and I have always known him since he was a teenager, and we've always had a strong heart connection. But on the other hand, uh, it wasn't the same for me as for these people that had never had another teacher or anything. And for them, their their life is just blown up in the air, and they, they can't imagine what they're how they're going to go forward, you know, with their spiritual practice. So, as you know, in a follow-up investigation, there was an unnamed woman yeah. who said that you ignored her reports of sexual abuse and yeah. that this allegedly happened over 15 years ago. And she claims that she reported being raped to you and you responded by saying, I don't believe you. And if it's true, I suspect that you were into it. And then in September 2018, after speaking with her, you issued this statement saying, I was able to tell her that I feel very differently now. I believe what she told me. And going forward, I hope to be a better listener and not again say such insensitive and hurtful remarks to those who come to me for help. What did you learn about yourself through this? Because you all had a phone conversation, Yeah, right? we had a long, good yeah. phone conversation. Um, well... What did this teach you? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, well, it tuned me in again to how important it is to... Uh, allow people to change, myself in this case, you know. But uh, uh, in this whole very important movement that's happening now, the Me Too movement, which I, I really am in, applaud, I'm glad it's happening. But um, I think that what, what, where it gets problematic for me is when people uh, uh, don't allow for someone to change. They just fix them in their mind as demon, you know, for completely bad, like frozen in time. And they don't, uh, they don't allow for the fact that someone might learn from this and might change, you know. So for me, that whole thing of that people are, uh, are not fixed. People are fluid and dynamic and 
always changing and you have to help people. So when you had the conversation with the woman who had accused you of not hearing yeah. her 15 years ago, yeah. what did you say to her? She agreed first of all to talk to me, so she knew why I was calling and I said, I'm calling up to apologize, but first of all, I, I wonder if there's something you need to say, you want to say to me. And then she talked for about half an hour, uh, telling me the whole situation again and what had happened to her and, and uh, how she had come to me and how, what she had felt like when she left. Did you hear it differently this time? Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. completely differently. And, um, and the thing is, it was long enough ago that I don't remember exactly how I heard it then. Mm -hmm. However, uh, she, she, she certainly remembers. And that to me was the most important thing is that she felt heard and that she felt acknowledged and that, she, and, and that I was very grateful she accepted my and, apology. And, and did you regret the way she perceived you had handled it before? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I so it was a wake up call. I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I had kind of a rosy picture of me doing countless interviews with people mm -hmm. and then them being the better for it. And then, you know, I thought, whoa, I bet this is not the only woman that left feeling not heard in one way or another, you know? Mm -hmm. And that um, it isn't always a rosy picture, but my intention always is to help, you know? That's mm -hmm. always my intention and not to hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I felt enormous regret that I had left her feeling so traumatized, actually, mm -hmm. you know. By the time you got off the phone, what had happened? We had communicated from the heart, and, and we both felt that we had some sense of resolution mm -hmm. around the relationship. We both agreed to keep in touch, you know, uh, now and then. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said to her, if you feel like at any time, if things are painful for you and you want to talk to me, I think you can trust me in present time. And, um, uh, and she said, well, thank you very much for that. And so like that, you know. So you think she felt heard by she the She definitely, the she yeah. articulated that yeah. she felt heard. What do you think about this moment we're in? We were talking about this Me Too moment where women who have experienced, endured, you know, sexual harassment, even sexual assault, feeling uncomfortable, now feel like being able to speak up liberates them in a way that they could not have been prior to this moment. I think it's great. Yeah. And the other thing is, um, there is countless of us women who didn't think at the time it was so culturally accepted than what happened to us in the office or what happened to us in a marriage or whatever, uh, you know, our husband, and yeah. our mutual friends or any of this stuff. And then you, you think, oh my gosh, that was not oh a good gosh. thing. Yes, so our generation, only... our generation, my generation, I mean, I think of the things that I have allowed to be said to me and the things that yeah. I yeah. tolerated yeah. and what I put up with in offices and what I, you know, that I, I feel that for even my young daughters who are from South Africa, they wouldn't tolerate it one moment. They wouldn't. No, I know. Yes. My grandchildren. Yeah, wouldn't my take it one second. Not a second. Not, not a second. second. That's not right. a second. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I, I think that's a good thing that's that we've really gotten to a good this, thing. this point. That's really a good thing. But to, just to say again, the only part of it that I um, always want to address is when it gets 
when your mind gets frozen and someone becomes um, like the, the, a demon or, you know, like that. Like there's no room to say maybe they'll change or maybe they'll But if have there's been a criminal act. Yeah. If there's, acts have consequences yes, and they should. If there has been have, a criminal act. Oh, yeah, that's right. But that doesn't mean that that man or woman is permanently has to be like that forever. I mean, that's the problem with the criminal justice system, is that they are just fixed in there for what their crime was, and there's no very little, very few prisons actually address trying to help people move along. I know? think it, this moves in stages. You know, I've spoken to uh, women who have been assaulted and have just now gained the freedom or the ability actually for themselves to, 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 to say what has happened. And I've asked this question about when, when is there room for forgiveness? And several of them have said to me, we're not ready to talk forgiveness yet. We're just getting our voices That's to true. be heard. That's true. Yeah. That's true. You That's know, true. so just as everything goes in stages, That's grief right. moves in stages, right. life That's moves right. in stages. Right. The stage now I think is, can we actually be heard? Yeah. Can you hear me? And does what I say matter? That's right. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to a woman. So we're not ready to get there. I, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. Mm -hmm. That you have to allow. This moment. To, you have to the be declaration. where you are. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I also, I, it's been a big education for me to realize why, for instance, a woman would allow it to happen again. Yeah. Or why a woman would never have spoken up. Or all these things, which I really understand now. So you say the wonderful irony about the spiritual journey is that we find it only leads us to become just as we are. That the exalted state of enlightenment is nothing more than fully knowing ourselves and our world just as we are. In other words, the ultimate fruition of this path is simply to be fully human. And the ultimate benefit we can bring to others is to welcome them, also realize their full humanity just as they are. Yeah. See, that came out of that insight about what I'm saying, that things are neutral. Yeah. That you accept yourself currently, today, just as you are, like mm -hmm. fretting or frustrated. Yeah. Or it's by learning to know the clouds then they, then you see their transparency and you realize the sky has already always been there. Do you yes. see what I mean by that? Yeah. Oh, I definitely know what you mean by that. Because yeah. you know why? why? One of my favorite moments on, on the planet as a human being is to be on the ground and it's raining and you're at the airport and you get on the plane and you shoot above the clouds. Oh, yeah. And that moment where you shoot about the, above the clouds and it's all just like softness and That's light right. and you see the sun and it was always there. That's right. That's exactly the moment that's on the cover where you're beneath the clouds and then you shoot above the clouds. This is exactly that the is moment right. I'm talking about. Yeah, that's interesting. I never even saw it that uh, way before. That's exactly what, oh, I love that when that happens. I never saw it that way before. That's exactly the moment I'm talking about. It's great. Now that's a famous uh, analogy in Buddhism, that the sun is always there and that we say, oh, it's, the sun's not shining today because we're experiencing ourselves yes, yes. as the sun's not shining. But if you begin to 
adopt a different way of like the sun is always shining and you can you can get to it but not by getting rid of the clouds exactly right but by seeing how ephemeral the clouds are but anyway getting to know what blocks it with kindness is magical and that is what welcoming the unwelcome is all about that's right full circle thank you so much thank you so much <laughs> thank you so much I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>